candidate for episode six is Wayne Williams. Wayne's been a resident of Colorado Springs for more than 30 years, and his record of public service began soon after moving here when he joined the Colorado Springs Housing Authority, where he served for 10 years. He was elected to two terms on the El Paso County Board of Commissioners, serving from 2003 to 2011, and after his two terms on the county commission, he was elected El Paso County Clerk and Recorder, where he served one term. After that, Wayne was elected to statewide office as Colorado Secretary of State, serving one term from 2015 to 2019. He was elected at large to the Colorado Springs City Council in 2019 and is finishing up his first term this spring. As a city councilor, he has also served on the Colorado Springs Utilities Board. For more information about Wayne, you can visit his website at winwithwayne.org. Wayne, thanks for being here today. It's good to see you. Kyle, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Well, so, uh, you know, as I told you, I'm doing a a series of these episodes with uh, some of what I consider to be kind of the primary candidates uh, running for mayor. And what I'm, the first question I'm asking everybody is kind of the question I often ask candidates when they're running. And that is, why are you running for mayor? And then after that, tell us a little bit about why you think you're the best person for the position. I appreciate first the opportunity to visit with you today. Uh, I'm running for mayor because this is my home. I love Colorado Springs. Uh, Holly and I made the decision to move here a little little over 30 years ago, and uh, we have made it our home. We've gotten very involved in the community, and I've seen the differences that quality leadership can make. Uh, I've been here when we've closed Hibbard's department store and when the downtown was a ghost town. And I'm excited about the changes we've made in Colorado Springs, the economic vitality that's taking place. And uh, I've been honored to be a part of that, uh, working through the Pikes Peak RTA, working through uh, my service on the county commission and as a city councilman. And so I'm, I want to continue that going forward. Uh, John Southers has done a great job as mayor, and I want to continue that record of working together. You know, unlike D.C., which is broken, we on city council working with the mayor have passed every budget that I've been on council unanimously, and we've done it because we have worked together to address the priorities of our community. That's something that's not happening elsewhere in the nation, and that record of working together to get things done for the people of Colorado Springs is why I want to run. Uh, My top priorities uh, include uh, crime and public safety, uh, infrastructure and transportation, and then a thriving economy. I'm happy to delve into those in more detail as we go forward. Uh, But I'm running to try to make sure we continue to make this the kind of place that all of us want to live. Uh, It has been uh, an honor to serve the people of the Pikes Peak region in a number of different positions, but I'm running because I want to keep making a difference and keep helping our economy and keep helping our community go forward. Great. Well, let's go ahead and actually let's jump into those three issues a little bit in a little bit more detail. So I think you started crime and public safety was the first one you talked about. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, As a member of city council, uh, I've been uh, working to address this issue in a number of different ways. Uh, we have added 62 new police officer positions, 66 firefighter positions, and built three new fire stations while I've been on city council. We've, with the consent of the voters, created a fire mitigation fund that allows us to go in and limit the effects 
coming out of the national forest as it comes into our community and making sure that we're able to be proactive, not just reactive. We've adopted the first fire evacuation ordinance in Colorado Springs. Uh, we've worked with folks to help know your zone so that we can pinpoint, and when I say we, I mean the city officials who actually handle those things, uh, handle evacuations and do it in an orderly fashion and help people get to safety. But I, I'm more excited about the fire mitigation because I'd rather avoid the evacuation to start with. I was yeah. evacuated during Waldo Canyon. Uh, it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, actually, I was running an election that day as the <laughs> clerk and recorder uh, when they came in and said, you need to leave and all of your people need to leave too. And so we did that at about 715, 730 uh, on, uh, I think it was June 26, if I remember that date right. Uh, but that is, those are some of the things we've done to address public safety. We've also on city council expanded the sit-lie ordinance. And one of the challenges in running a downtown business is making sure that your customers have access, uh, that it's not blocked by someone sleeping in front of a door. Uh, we have worked with the Springs Rescue Mission and General Jack Briggs and his staff there to make sure there is a place for everyone to go so that we can say, you can't camp in public spaces that risk polluting the waterway or that impede people from getting into a business. So it's working with all of those together. Um, one of the things we need to do in terms of public safety is continue to expand our hot teams and our alternative response teams, ways to address specific issues and occasionally specific individuals in a way that safely and compassionately, but also uh, does what needs to be done to ensure the public safety for our citizens. So those are some of the things that I've been involved with. Um, I think one of the other important things that we've done, as our city grows, we want to make sure that that existing citizens aren't asked to pay for what happens in a growing area. Yeah. And so for the first time, we imposed a specific uh, public safety fee that covers fire stations and apparatus and police stations. Is that uh, like a special district within those new areas? Not a special district. It's a general fee that covers any new development now. Okay. And so whether you are developing on the eastern edge of the city or if you were doing an infill project, you'll pay a proportionate share uh, to make sure that growth pays its own way on these important issues. It's important as we grow as a city that we continue to address our public safety needs, both fire, police, and otherwise. Uh, one of the things we've done in an era that is harder to recruit people, uh, in part <coughs> in part because of uh, the challenges in the profession, and in part because it's pretty easy to find a job in uh, this economy in Colorado Springs right now. Uh, and so we have moved to a year-round continuous academy for police so that we don't have the long waiting periods between when you get a job offer to start the academy and when the academy begins. So we've done a number of things to help address that in the public safety area. And as a member of city council, I've played a role in all of those steps, and I want to continue to do that as mayor to make sure we address the public safety needs for our community. Part of it also means working with the legislature. Uh, some of the things that we deal with uh, come out of Denver or out of Washington, D.C. And so I think part of what you have to have in a mayor is someone who has a proven ability to work with the legislature. Uh, I did an event for our campaign. Our co-hosts included 
uh, the Democratic and Republican leaders of the legislature. Um, and I think that's an important element because we are not an island. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be able to, to work with folks at Denver and in Washington, D.C. So that's one of those areas. Yep. Uh, happy to go into as much more detail as you want, Kyle. Well, um, let's jump into the other two. I know one of them you talked about was economic vitality. How, uh, t- how, how can the mayor help in that area? The mayor helps in a lot of ways. And, and we on city council have played a role in this as well, where we have worked to uh, help build public infrastructure that supports economic vitality. I'll go back to one of the things I helped create when I was a county commissioner, which is the Pikes Peak RTA. Um, If you look at some of our economic drivers today, those take place because the Pikes Peak RTA was able to address critical transportation infrastructure needs that affected a growing economy. So you look at the entrances to downtown. Both the Bijou entrance and the Cimarron Bridge were built by the Pikes Peak RTA. You go north to UCCS, one of our key growing uh, drivers of our economy. The Union Austin Bluffs Interchange was built by the Pikes Peak RTA. The Nevada uh, Austin Bluffs intersection was improved by the Pikes Peak RTA. When I was teaching up at UCCS, it would take me four or five light cycles to get there, and then another four or five light cycles to get out. You can't have a growing and thriving university if you can't get there. Uh, And so the Pikes Peak RTA that we helped create has made a huge difference. And it's delivered on the promises that were made, which is why the voters of this community have renewed it twice, each time with 79.5% of the vote. Um, But it's making sure that government provides the roles that it has in there, uh, which leads to the other point, which is infrastructure. Uh, we have to make sure that we have the infrastructure for our community. That means transportation. It means parks and open space. So when I was a county commissioner and when I've been on city council, each time we've added over 1,000 acres of parks and open space to the county and now to the city because it's important that we address the needs of our community, not just on a road, but also (laughs) the ability to enjoy the place in which we live. Uh, We've also led in with respect to water. So on water, we adopted for the first time a specific uh, water resource fee that allows us to acquire new water rights. And then we did something I'm incredibly proud of. We have entered an agreement with the Bent County Commissioners that allows us to acquire 15,000 acre feet from Bent County. By the way, that's enough for 100,000 people. Okay. Because um, we, we use about 75,000 acre feet a year for 500,000 people. So that's 15,000 is a significant number. Uh, And we're doing it in a unique way, Kyle. We're not going through the old buy and dry method that used to be done before I was on Colorado Springs Utilities. Instead, we are working with farmers to upgrade the irrigation system and then buying the water that we save so that you still get the agricultural production in in the Arkansas Valley. Yeah. And you still get those... The food that we we like that Rocky Ford melon, and we like some of these things that come to our, our local grocery stores and our local markets. Um, and that part of working cooperatively together with our neighbors in the Arkansas is why we got unanimous approval from the Bent County Commissioners. We then have acquired already about 3,000 acre feet from this process. 
and we're perfecting those rights now. We continue to look for additional opportunities for this win-win method. Yeah. We're also adopting a much more logical ordinance for with respect to annexation in the city of Colorado Springs. Our existing ordinance that was there when I took office says we will only annex a property if there's enough water uh, for the city for, and this is a direct quote, the foreseeable future, close quote. I don't know what that means. I bet if you asked eight different people, you'd get eight different answers, and it might depend on what time in life they are as to what the foreseeable future is. had a friend who says he doesn't buy green bananas anymore. Um, But the foreseeable future in terms of water is a very vague term, and so we are replacing that at city council with a defined buffer. And this is one of the critical things to protect the citizens of our community. That buffer provides that we will take the existing water use and the existing water supply, and we'll have about a 28% buffer, looks like where it's going to wind up with coming out of council. Um, That means that if there are impacts from the Colorado River, and, and you can't You can't watch the news or be unaware of the fact that Lake Mead and Lake Powell have a lot less water in them than they used to. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about what the impacts are of our community, some folks may not be aware that 70% of the water in that glass you drink came from the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. And so we absolutely have to be prepared for risks of possible reductions in our water supply on the Colorado. We also have to be prepared to have a runway for a growth development, other things that may happen. And so that's how we wound up with a buffer of 28%, which is at least defined as opposed to kind of the old school way of doing things, which is, you know, we look at it and we th- if we feel good that day, we say there's enough for the foreseeable future. And if we feel bad, we say there isn't. That's not a fair way. It's not an equitable way. And so moving to this is better. I I would note we're doing other things too. Water conservation, we use the same amount of water in our community now as we did 20 years ago, despite the fact there's a couple hundred thousand extra people. And and so we're we're working with it at all fronts, and I've been proud to be a part of that as chair of Colorado Springs Utilities and a a member of city council. The... The water rule was something I had on my list I wanted to ask you about and everything. How was the 28 per 128% number arrived at? I mean, you hear when you when you hear both sides of this, the 128 is is sometimes described as pretty arbitrary. Like why not 115% that would allow more homes to be annexed in. I know it originally was at 130. How is that number derived? So, Colorado Springs Utilities staff analyzed it, and their recommendation was 130%. Okay. And what they're looking at, you're looking at really two impacts. One is possible curtailments, and then what's the time frame you need to obtain additional water supplies. It is not a quick process, whether it's obtaining the water or building a pipeline to deliver it uh, or securing the legal right to that water. All of that takes time, and in some cases it takes 10 to 20 years to secure the water right and get the capacity to deliver it and perfect all of the legal rights that are necessary. So given that time frame, you can never be at the point where you say, oh, we've got just enough, right? So you can't be at at 
a hundred percent. So, you know, which is kind of like if you run a bank account and you keep just barely enough, and then an unexpected expense arises, or a payment you were expecting to get comes in late, then you wind up bouncing checks and having other issues. And so you have to have that buffer. When you throw in then the Colorado River impacts, which yeah. could result in a significant curtailment to 70% of our water supply, you need a buffer. Does the world end if we don't follow utilities' recommendation of saying 130%? I don't think 128% is a bad rule. I preferred the 130 because that's what the experts in the area recommended, Kyle. But I think we're going to adopt a compromise that adopts it at 128%. If you get much lower than that, you do start running the risk that we could have a time when we don't have enough water. And I never want to be there. I never want to be in the position of having to go to someone and saying, no, you need to tear up that tree that you planted, that grass. That is not what we want to be in. Uh, we want to be in a situation where we have that buffer, where we can address things. I would note, by the way, for short-term issues, we have reservoirs that provide a three-year supply to our community. Yeah. But we have to keep getting the water to replenish those. All of this led the staff at Colorado Springs Utilities, the experts in the water field, to say 130% is their recommendation. They've been very firm at that at council. They've also said if we adopt that compromise at 128%, that they can work with that and they can get us there. Okay. So you've had a long career in public service. You, you Local positions, the statewide office – what is something in your career? What's an accomplishment in your career that you're most proud of? There have been a number of them, and, and some of them are little, right? Like getting putting wait times for motor vehicle online so that everybody can see. Um, and that's actually a bigger deal. That's not a, that's not a small thing. I no, it, it's convenient. You can look. Is yeah. this a good day to go to the DMV or not? Some some things are simple like that. I, I think though, probably prevented a lot of road rage. <laughs> Well, it hopefully made it a better experience for people when they came. We are – there's a couple things that, that I think are absolutely critical for me, and one of those is the creation of the Pikes Peak RTA. Uh, when I was elected as a county commissioner, the biggest issue facing our community was transportation. Chamber of Commerce had done a survey. It was the number one issue cited by businesses, not taxes, not regulations. The fact that my plumber – in my business can't serve four people, he can only hit three because he's stuck in traffic for one of those. And, and it, Or I can't get to my kid's soccer game because I, I leave work and, and I'm stuck on, on the interstate. So the creation of the Pikes Peak RTA is unique because other places have tried it and failed. And so some of the things I've done, other folks have replicated. In this case, you know, the Fort Collins area looked at it, but it failed by one vote because they, the different squabbling cities couldn't reach everything, yeah. couldn't reach agreement. But we pulled together. I was working with then a mayor of Colorado Springs, Lionel Rivera, with a whole bunch of civic and community leaders, chamber of the United Way, folks in both parties. And we put something on the ballot and said, we're going to do this. And we're, we think we can address this with a specific list of projects. And we're going to be accountable to you, the voters. We're going to limit administration to no more than 1%. We're going to ensure there's a citizen's advisory committee. And then we delivered on it. And so often promises are made in government that they're not delivered on. We 
intentionally, very intentionally, as the first RTA board, uh, Lyle and, uh, Lyle, Lionel and I were the first two uh, heads of the RTA, and we set a pattern that we're going to make sure we hold everyone accountable so that when we went back to the voters eight years later and then just last year, we could say, here are the promises we made. Here's the evidence of the delivery. And the voters in this region, by an overwhelming majority, says, yes, we believe this has done what it's supposed to do. And it has helped provide significant transportation funding for our community that was absolutely critical because we haven't been getting what we need from the state or from the feds. And so we have to address things at a local level. There are other things that I think are also important, uh, making sure that we have uh, voter verifiable paper ballots and forensic risk limiting audits, which are things I did as Secretary of State led the Washington Post to call Colorado the safest state in America to vote, and then President Trump's Homeland Security advisor to hold up Colorado as the model for other states as to what to do. And you don't get President Trump's Homeland Security secretary, excuse me, not advisor, and the Washington Post to agree on a whole lot. <laughs> True. But, but my favorite letter of all, my favorite letter of all I ever got was – uh, when I was working as Secretary of State, I got a, a, a letter from the Animal Welfare League of the San Luis Valley. And you're always, you're never sure when someone sends a letter what it's going to say. And it started out, you know, we appreciate having things on the internet. And we did get, by the way, the, the Nonprofit Impact Award from the Colorado Nonprofit Association for our work there. But, but it starts out, but sometimes we have to call. And then I'm going, uh-oh. And when we do, your staff is, and this is the direct quote, invariably helpful and cheerful, close quote. And I relish that because I think of all the governments that I've interacted with over the years, how many of them would I describe the staff as invariably helpful and cheerful? And I'm proud of, of the fact that as an executive, and I'm the only person running for mayor who's been an elected executive before. Uh, that as an executive, I was able to deliver employees in an environment where they were excited to be at work, where they were doing a good job, where they were recognized for their contributions, and it carried through when they interacted with the public. And while that may not seem like you know millions of dollars for transportation projects or other things like that, it for me was a really important letter to get because it said we were doing things right for the citizens of our state. So, again, your position as Secretary of State, obviously other positions you've held, a lot of leadership positions. What's your leadership style? Uh, so first, <laughs> it is listening and getting input from others. And some of the reasons I've been very successful in the positions I've held is listening to the suggestions from the employees that work for me uh, and that work with me and from customers and citizens. It's seeking that input. As Secretary of State, I created the Bipartisan Election Advisory Committee uh, so that we would get input from people across the political spectrum. When we were choosing a, a paper-based voting system, we got input from the parties, from the the disability advocacy community. We wanted to make sure we got everyone's input before we made a decision. Um, it's part of what we do. Right now we're doing a series of utility town hall meetings we started last year. 
Um, and, and so we're trying to get input from people in the community. So I want to get the input, but I also have the ability, and this is an important part of it, is ultimately to make a decision and then to take responsibility for the decision. Um, I back my employees. Um, sometimes they make mistakes, but I take the ownership of that. I've done that with various issues over the years because ultimately you're responsible. And it's very different when you're an executive as opposed to a legislator. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of my friends who are running have served on county commissions and city councils, and, and I've done those. So I know there's a huge difference between being one of five or one of uh, nine or one of you know, whatever number and then being the one who actually has to make those tough decisions after getting that input, after getting that collaboration. But it's then also working together to implement that decision. Uh, and this is one of those areas where having that ability to reach out to people across the aisle. We had an issue with uh, a piece of legislation that was going through uh, the U.S. Senate. And there was a provision that favored uh, – investor-owned utilities over municipally-owned utilities. And it was just a little quirk in the language, but I was able to reach out to Senator Bennett to get that changed so that it affected, so that it gave that same ability to our community as it did to an investor-owned utility. And so whether it's little quirks in the legislation that you want to work on or other issues, it, it's part of working together. And I get criticized sometimes because I work with people on both sides of the aisle. I am an appointee of Governor Jared Polis on the Peace Officer Standard Training Board, where we follow the process to make sure that the people we trust to enforce the law will be people who will follow the law and that they have the training they need to do that. Uh, you know, I last night I was in in Denver uh, at the unveiling of the film documenting the Colorado Unify Challenge, a program I did with Attorney General Phil Weiser. Mm. And he and I were the co-chairs for Colorado. Uh, I've been criticized because I did a public service announcement with Secretary Jenna Griswold. Uh, doesn't mean we agree on everything. I was pretty strong in some letters and, and op-eds that I wrote in the Gazette and the uh, Sentinel in Grand Junction and Red Junction supporting Pam Anderson. But on certain things, we have to be willing to work together. And it's part of what's broken in D.C. is mm -hmm. we're not doing that. And as a community here in Colorado Springs, we're different, and we ought to be different. We ought to work together. And that history of working together to get things done for our community is what I want to continue to do as Colorado Springs' next mayor. Good. Um, I think I know the answer to this next question because we worked on it together. <laughs> but the TOPS initiative that's on the ballot for April, are you supportive of that? Uh, well, I made the motion to put it on there. Okay. So, yes. Uh, and I have been. You know, I, I talked a little bit earlier on the program about working to get 1,000 acres of open space and parks as a county commissioner, which we did, and which we've done during the time I've been on city council. Uh, I support the renewal that's currently on the ballot. As you and I work together on prior TOPS campaigns, uh, it is something that I do believe in. Um, it is part of what makes this community spectacular. When I have a friend that comes to Colorado Springs for the first time, we're going to Garden of the Gods. Uh, now, if there's time, we might go up to the top of Pikes Peak. We might do some of the other exciting things in our community. 
the Olympic Museum, Widener Field, Ropes and Arena, all these things that we've gotten done over the last four years. But it's still the nat- the natural beauty of our community is a key part of what makes this different from other places. Yeah. So when we were working on that issue, uh, when we went through that those series of meetings with the commission and everything, just trying to talk through everything, it, it became apparent, obviously, TOPS isn't the be-all and end-all for funding parks. Obviously, the general fund provides a lot of money. There may be down the road other options for you know finding money to support parks. But I think it's uh, – I, I always forget the name of it, but the report the Parks Department did that showed there's a $270 million backlog in, in needed repairs and maintenance and everything. So back in about 2008, right before the big recession, parks was about 8.4% of the budget. Now it's about 5.9%. Granted, the total budget's considerably different, but one of the things that can help with some of that is getting parks a little higher up in the percentage-wise of the overall budget. Would you be supportive of that, or how do you feel about the right now the current parks funding in the budget? Well, I think it's easy to, to ask about what intentions are. I want to talk about what we've done. We've actually increased parks, general parks and forestry, general fund budget by several million dollars during the time I've been on city council. So we have actually done that. We have increased funding for it. We've been willing to go to the voters. So we referred a parks uh, Tabor retention to the voters who agreed and who supported it. And we're just finishing up the Coleman master plan, Coleman Park master plan, which is on the powers corridor. Uh, We've done some improvements in our downtown parks. Uh, We replaced... Uh, the the grass with artificial turf at Cottonwood Creek. All of those were part of those needed improvements that were done with specific voter approval. And so there's a multifaceted way we're going to have to address any type of backlog, and we have one, uh, both in terms of parkland that's not been developed and in terms of maintenance for the existing parks. Um, one of the things that I think is good in the current ballot issue uh, that's in front of the voters is it segregates money, but it does say if you're repairing a trail, you can repair the whole trail, not just the parks and not just the parts of the trail acquired through a tops purchase. Because yeah. the way it works now, if you as a good citizen <clears throat> donate a little section of trail and then we buy with tops money the next section of the trail, I can't maintain the part that you donated. I would have been better off in terms of maintenance if I'd had to buy it from you. And that's an absurd result, but that's the current standard. And so the new ballot issue that is, I think, widely supported across the the parks, trails, open space community allows that flexibility so that we're able to do it. Uh, It's more efficient to do it that way. And saving taxpayer money is a logical decision. Um, but we have to continue to balance it. So when you talk about what is the future hold in terms of percentages, it depends what the other needs are. And, and as a community, public safety always has to be number one. And we as a community have emphasized that. Uh, over half of our budgets going to police, fire, and public safety-related matters. Uh, and that's critical because... For that, there is no alternative. You have to have 
someone who can respond to that fire, to that medical emergency, or to that 911 call for a police call. Um, so that's that's always going to be my top priority. Yeah. I have increased public safety funding, and I have increased uh, working with my colleagues on city council because and with the mayor, John Southers, because we always do this together. Um, and so when I say I, there is always a team that is part of that. Uh, but we have increased funding in those budgets for parks, uh, and we've done that by several million dollars during the time I've been on city council. Okay, good. We're gonna. I need to cough, so we're. <coughs> I'm sorry about that. I, uh, ah. That's what I, the risk I take taking a drink in the middle of it went down the wrong way. But. Well, I'm not making it very difficult on you because I'm answering long-winded answers, and uh, no, that's good. That's. Again, I want people to get a feel for where you stand on the issues, you as a, your personality, you as a candidate, all of that. So, no, I think that's been great. Um, I'm sorry to give you as much spotlight there, Kyle. Yeah, well. <laughs> the, uh, um, okay, so I just, I have a, how long, how are we doing on time? We are 32 minutes. Oh, okay, we're good. Um, Any time? Can I go anytime? Can Mother, I may I? Are you are you talking to the producer? <laughs> Sorry, I can just you're just continuing to record. I can talk whenever I. You, you go whenever you're ready. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Try not to ask such hard questions. <laughs> um, so this past November, voters in Colorado Springs voted down recreational marijuana. Where were you on that issue? Uh, I was one of the members of city council who supported a resolution that opposed recreational marijuana. Okay. How come? What's your, what's your feeling on the issue? There are a number of factors. Uh, first, uh, I believe that our economy has done very well uh, with the absence of recreational marijuana sales. And I think that's hard to argue with. Uh, I believe when I look at downtown Colorado Springs and compare it to downtown Denver, I like our community a lot better. And I think that the specific ballot issue had a number of serious flaws, including uh, creating a monopoly for those that owned certain shops now. So as opposed to some other way of allocating it, it was set up so that if you owned one now, then uh, you got additional money from recreational marijuana. And so it was kind of set up and was funded, frankly, by some of those who would benefit from that limited uh, supply. Um, I also believe that as I have visited with folks in D.C. at the Department of Defense, that one of the advantages we have, recognizing that recreational marijuana is legal and appropriate, it is not, however, legal under federal law. And so that means that a uh, a member of the armed forces can be discharged uh, from their position, uh, and that's true also for some with certain security clearances. And so I think it has an impact as we fight for additional missions. I've been very supportive of the military bases in our community. Um, from my time as a county commissioner when we got uh, funding for uh, Highway 16 intersection with Fort Carson and did improvements on 115, uh, to the current uh, MAMSA grant that is helping to fund access to Shriver. 
all of that's critical for our community. You know, as a, as a commissioner, some of those open spaces we acquired were a buffer for Fort Carson, mm-hmm. working with the Nature Conservancy. And so we have, we are trying to do things that support the military. We at Colorado Springs Utilities have just reached an agreement with Fort Carson where we are taking over the maintenance of some of their utility lines. Um, and so as we do that, we want to continue to encourage military missions to locate in our community. Uh, and I think part of that helps, uh, at least in my discussions with folks at the Pentagon, it may not be part of the official position at all times, but retention of troops, retention of airmen, air, airwomen, of our guardians, all of that is critical. Um, but bottom line, the tax that was proposed did not provide enough uh, of a response for to support law enforcement, and it created a monopoly for those who were existing owners. I didn't think that was the right way to do it. Uh, it is not something that uh, ultimately uh, I as mayor would support. Uh, I think you've got a pretty clear vote of the people of Colorado Springs. Yeah. And I think we we deal with that. Uh, I would note, by the way, that we do share in the, the revenue from this because the Pikes Peak RTA collects sales tax in Manitou Springs. Uh, and so those those folks who do choose to buy there are helping to fund the roads in our community. And so it's not like we are losing all of the revenue from that. And I look at, you know, the whole time I've been on city council, Kyle, we've hit our Tabor revenue cap every year. Yeah. So it's not like our economy is twisting in the wind. Uh, we're doing very well uh, with the that kind of middle-of-the-road approach that Colorado Springs has taken. Okay. Two two other issues. I've, I've lived here for 31 years. Two issues that I come up all the time um, over that time, off and on, um, you hear about affordable housing and homelessness. So and in some ways they're related, but but in a lot of ways there's different solutions for each one of those. But again, it seems like right now those are kind of back up, uh, at least in the discussion a little bit more. What uh, what are kind of your ideas on maybe both of those issues? Sure. Uh, let me talk a little bit about what I've done and then talk yeah. about what I think we ought to do going forward. Uh, I moved here in 1992. In 1994... Bob Isaac asked me to serve on the Colorado Springs Housing Authority Board. So I got my start working in public affordable housing. That's the first government job position. It was a volunteer board uh, that I ever had. And I served on that for about a decade. I was appointed by uh, Bob Isaac, reappointed by Mary Lou Makepeace. Um, And we did some awesome things. We helped redevelop the southeast downtown area with Lowell School, where Mm -hmm. it was a bat guano infested derelict and now it's a thriving hub and it's helped the rest of that area redevelopment redevelop as well one of the other cool things we did is we worked with peterson then air force base uh now space force base but then it was an air force base and we worked with them to build creekside at norwood which was designed to provide affordable housing options off base for enlisted personnel so been involved in this area for a long time as for the last four years a member of Colorado Springs City Council we've done a couple critical things one of those is we said look right now 
certain people, if they build affordable housing, can qualify for uh, a sales tax exemption. Why not make it so whoever builds it can qualify for a sales tax exemption? Because if I'm looking for a home, I don't really care who built it. I'm just wondering if I have a place to live. And so we did that on city council. Um, we also, I mentioned earlier in the program, we ad adopted a new water resource fee, which does add to the price of housing. And so we s created a special fund to cover those costs of that water resource fee uh, for individuals who are for uh, projects that have an affordability component. It's a sliding scale based on how affordable yeah. it is. So those are some proactive things we've done in the time that I've served on city council and been chair of Colorado Springs Utilities. Um, as city council, we've also supported the mayor's initiative to try to add 1,000 affordable units every year, and we've done that. I want to continue to do that as Colorado Springs mayor because I think it's the right thing. We need a mix of housing in our community. My son is a computer programmer. He's the director of technology for a California company. He does it from Iowa, where his wife is a dentist. They came back to look at possibly moving here and were shocked at the price of housing in our community. Uh, I've had friends at one of the hospitals who've related uh, instances in which people have not been able to find housing uh, and have had to turn down a position. The Chamber of Commerce lost a couple of their people they made offers to, right? So, yeah. so this is something that housing availability and afford affordability affects all of our community, and it drives up the cost of everything else we do. If a business has to pay a certain amount in order to afford workers, it's got to pass that cost on to its customers. And so as a community, we need to continue to look for ways that we can support uh, the creation of affordable housing and attainable housing for our workforce. I am not particularly interested in government building it. Uh, I am much more interested in working with nonprofit, private partners, and, and anyone who wants to be involved in that. And so we've tried to incentivize through appropriate ways that yeah. to take place. Um, on the homelessness issue, we are one of the few communities in America that during the last four years uh, that I've served on city council has actually had a decline in the number of unhoused homeless. Um, we've done a number of initiatives, uh, whether it's a sit-lie ordinance that stops people from sleeping in front of a business that's open, whether, whether it is working with Springs Rescue Mission to make sure that there are sufficient beds. Uh, all of those are critical aspects that we as a community have to do going forward. Uh, we do need to enforce our laws. It's one of the reasons why we have hot teams that have been very – our homeless outreach teams, sorry to use the acronym, uh, that work from the police force to try to help people make the correct decisions. Yeah. Um, there are folks who want assistance and to move out of homelessness, and we need to work to make sure that's available. We've been doing that through various nonprofits and other organizations. There's some who don't want that assistance. Uh, and we still need to make sure that our, we have a safe community and folks follow the laws and rules during that time frame. And we're working to do that in a proactive and positive way. Are there any other issues that we haven't touched on that are kind of on your radar that maybe aren't on the community's radar or whatever, or maybe they are, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you're 
interested in working on for the city? Well, as I pulled into your parking lot, I was looking out over the city. You've got a beautiful view up here on Communications Drive. And as we're looking out there and I see, you know, bridges that were built with the Pikes Peak RTA, uh, I worked with Lionel Rivera to go up and visit with Bill Owens to get funding for Cosmics, where we six-laned I-25. Uh, but I also see this thing called Drake Power Plant that's there. And when I ran for city council four years ago, uh, Drake was slated to close in 2035. Uh, I said during the campaign I would work for an earlier closure, and I delivered on that. Uh, as chair of Colorado Springs Utilities, I got to close that plant out last year. And uh, I think part of that is, a, is addressing what was a very inefficient plant. It was very costly to operate, to replacing it with natural gas that was actually cheaper and more adaptable. You're old enough, you probably remember charcoal grill. It takes a long time to get that charcoal or the coal up to the right power. And in a fluctuating power demand, it was not very efficient and required a lot of people to operate. Replacing it with gas turbines has been a much better opportunity. It's been a lower cost option. Um, but it also provides better entrance to our city. Uh, yeah. That is not, you know, 97, I guess 98 years ago when Drake was built, it was a great entrance to, we have power here, come. Yeah, you know, it was we, the edge of town. We got electricity here. <laughs> um, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah. And uh, we have done a number of steps to try to make um, our utilities more responsive. Uh, some of it is frankly required by state laws that have changed. Um, but I did say I would try to do that. I would try to cut that closing time from 2035 and I delivered on it. Um, and I think that's part of what you're, you're looking at in a mayor is everyone can make promises. What have they actually done with the promises they've made in the past? And that's one of the reasons I'm proud to have the record that I do where I have delivered on better customer service, uh, delivered on transportation and roads, delivered on parks and open space, uh, delivered on an earlier closure of Drake um, for economic, environmental, and economic development reasons, all of which uh, that's going to – all of which supported that decision. There were some who opposed it. There were some who wanted it shut down immediately. I chose, in working with my colleagues and getting input from folks across the community, a path that allowed us to close it but do it in a fiscally responsible way. So what's coming up on the campaign? If, I, if listeners or voters wanted an opportunity to learn more about you or meet you or whatever, what do you have coming up? So there are half, well, I don't know how many forums. There's Four, a bunch of them. Fourteen the last we heard. Fourteen different forums. And, and frankly, Kyle, a lot of those are going to be a very different from the conversation that you're having with <laughs> the candidates because you're going to have a dozen candidates, each of whom speak for a minute with respect to five or six questions. And so during the course of the actual forum, you'll hear about six minutes from each candidate <laughs> or something along that lines, right? It's just the way the math works when you've got a dozen candidates running. Yeah. And so there's a number of forums. Uh, my website is winwithwayne.org, uh, so you can go to winwithwayne.org and get some more information. Uh, and and there's even ways on my website, because it's still there, to get to old websites. So you can say, well, did he actually do what he said? <laughs> uh, 
Because I don't hide what I've done in the past because I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of the promises. I, I don't look at what I've done and say, oh, my gosh, I wish I'd never promised that. I, I, when I say I'm going to do things, I try to find a way to get things done. It doesn't always mean it's going to be easy, um, but that's one of the ways. Go to the website. You can also, of course, attend any of the forums. Some of those are going to be broadcast. Some will be streamed. Um, and it will give you a chance to get a feel for it. But I think the most important thing people can do is look at actual records of what people have done in the past. Um, and I know the f financial networks, when they do their ads, always say, past results are no indication of future performance, right? That's what they always say. But when it comes to people running for elected office, will they deliver on what they promise? Will they get things done? Will they continue to lead this community forward? I think is an absolutely critical part of it. Good. Well, thank you for being here. I've enjoyed talking. This has been great. Kyle, thanks for your opportunity. Thanks for your work in the community as well uh, on some of those TOPS initiatives and others. I know you've been involved in a number of different things over the years and uh, appreciate you doing this a little more in-depth uh, discussions than some of the other forums will provide. So thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast. This program is brought to you by Avant Strategies. Special thank you to producer Ted Robertson for help putting this program together. If you're interested in partnering with COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, you can reach out to me at kyle at avantstrategiesllc.com. <laughs>